Welcome to the very first episode of Good People, Cool Things. I'm your host, Joey Held, and as the name of this podcast suggests, we're going to be chatting with good people doing cool things. Today's guest is lifestyle mentor Di Manuel, who, if you're not inspired by the end of this episode, whew, we've got we've got other issues to worry about. But Di dives into so many different things in this episode, his 10-day meditation journey where no talking, no writing just being alone with your thoughts, his journey to sobriety and living a drug-free lifestyle, his five pillars that he lives by, and his 28-day challenge that you can take to see positive impacts in your life. We're going to cover all of it, but first, let's start with that meditation journey because can you imagine being quiet for 10 days? Let's see how Di did it. Enjoy. The first thing I want to ask you about is your 10-day silent meditation retreat, which... Mm. As someone that likes to talk a lot, that sounds very intimidating. So how, how did you learn about this? How did you get involved with it? And what was it like? You know, it was really, listen, I, I know that there's this whole idea of that, that, you know, they call it the secret. They call it this law of attraction, you know, this idea that we can manifest with just sheer wanting for things to happen. And, you know, I, I take it with a, a grain of salt because at the end of the day, I, I'm going to choose the path I want to walk and I'm going to walk it and do the things I need to do to get me closer to it. And so there's a, a sort of a proactive approach rather than just simply being optimistic <laughs> that if I just keep thinking about it, it's going to happen. <clears throat> well, I kept bumping into people <clears throat> because for myself, uh, when it comes to meditation, I'd had a meditation practice but nothing to this kind of a level. You know, I always struggled with meditation and uh, just, you know, just being still. I, my, my brain, my head, that voice that's between the ears is so noisy. <laughs> and so anytime I try to just chill and, and quiet it, it, it seems to get louder. And I know that is the whole point to why you learn to meditate and, and tune out these, this, this monkey mind, as they say. And so I kept, uh, I had one coach at the time who had just had this 10-day Vipassana experience, this meditation course. And, and then over a period of about another six weeks, I had two other conversations with individuals that I respected that had either recently had one or were scheduled to, to, to go and uh, experience one. And I was like, okay, the universe is definitely trying to tell me something here. <laughs> because I was the guy, when my coach first told me that, I was like, man, I can never do that. Like, you know, that was my instinct. It was just right away, uh, good for you. I will never do that. <laughs> and it kept coming up on conversations. I was like, well, why do I limit myself? Why do I say I can't do this? And uh, started looking into it. And um, I've been living in Bali now for about two and a half years. And I started looking for Vipassana centers and they're all over the world. Um, they're nonprofit. So it's all by donation. And I found one in Bangkok. Well, actually just two hours north of Bangkok. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'd like to go to Thailand anyways. Uh, here's a great opportunity. Let me see if I can do this 10 day silent retreat. And uh, got in and that was it. And I just went and I uh, submitted myself to that journey for, uh, oh gosh, well, it was three weeks in total. I was in Thailand, but um, 11 days are spent at that uh, uh, meditation center, if you will. And uh, my goodness, it was, uh, well, it was life changing uh, to, to, you know, try to dumb it down. I guess that's about <laughs> as drastic as I can say, you know, it really was uh, life shifting. And uh, it's helped me create a lot more space in my life, be less reactive, as well as uh, not do a full Vipassana, which is two hours of meditation a day, usually one hour in the morning, one in the evening. 
but rather I, I've got my own personal meditation practice, but I'm, I'm much more able to, to be present in the moment, uh, less, you know, jumbled thoughts all over the place. And uh, I've maintained a, a regular practice since. And uh, I, I'm really grateful for that 10-day uh, submersion, if you will, into that kind of a practice to, to help me learn how to do that. That's awesome. And for, I'm just picturing like, but was the first day just very difficult? Was it well, just such an adjustment? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so they picked us up at a Buddhist uh, temple in Bangkok and there was a bunch of people that got on the bus and it drove for two and a half hours north uh, of the city uh, to this meditation center. And uh the Passion of Centers, this is of the SN Goenka. Uh, so that's a gentleman that really brought this to the mainstream. He's often referenced in a lot of the literature and the books. And, you know, in the last 50 years, he's the one that really brought the Passion back to India even, you know. And so when you start looking into his history, you'll, you'll start to see that these centers have all popped up based on the work that this man did. And so his big thing was he wanted to make it accessible to everyone. So it's non-secular, even though it, it is considered the meditation style that Buddha used for, well, sorry. Uh, um, it was a meditation style that he became Buddha through uh, Siddhartha, you know, was through this meditation under the tree, this, this breathing style. Uh, it, it, he's not teaching Buddhism and he's not teaching anything that's, it's very non-secular. So for it's accessible to all religions. And that's what was so interesting. So on this bus, you know, there was, um, there was this uh, Catholic guy from the UK. Uh, there was uh, a number of Buddhists. Um, there were, uh, well, people like myself that are really uh, of no specific religion. Uh, and, and it was a mix of ages. There was a guy there that must've been about 20 years old. And there was a married couple that were in their eighties. And, and wow. so there was this massive cross-section of people and uh, you get off the bus and they segregate you. Uh, so all the men go to the left, all the women go to the right. You don't see them again until the last day, <laughs> you know, wow. day 11. And um, you know, you have a meal together. There's a little orientation. At 7 p.m., you take that uh, vow of silence, basically. And uh, from that point on, you're, you're silent. You don't interact with anyone. No writing, no exercise. Uh, there's one meal a day. Uh, there, there's really nothing that you can do other than meditate from about 4.30 in the morning till 9 at night. And it's challenging. I, yeah, challenging. I can yeah. imagine. I'm trying to think what the... Did you find one of those areas was kind of the hardest to, I'm trying to think what I would miss the most during that. And I think it maybe might be the writing part. Um, cause, cause I can, I can get down with some silence. I can be lazy, but not being able to write just sounds real tough to me. It's, it is very challenging. I mean, they take all your electronics, writing utensils, like journals, like everything, even books, like, cause they don't want you reading either. Like they, they take everything from you. You basically have a couple of changes of clothes. Um, I was fortunate at the center I went to, you had your own private room at least. Uh, but a lot of times you're just, it's more like a dorm style. And, you know, all the guys we sleep in, in a dorm and shared bathrooms and stuff. Uh, this is quite a nice center. Uh, so it's not the norm. Um, but it was just pretty wild. You know, day, day three, day four were probably the most challenging for me. Because by that point, you know, the, the body doesn't like to be sitting there in one position doing nothing. Like uh, it, my body started to react. Like I w felt pains in my body and certain joints that I've never had issues with. 
And, you know, they say it's the body's way of trying to get you to move, uh, sorry, your mind's way. So you start to actually manifest a lot of these pains and aches and discomforts, and they, they just get amplified, uh, even though they're not even really there, or they do pass. Like, and so they try to really encourage you, well, sit with it, breathe through it, and it should pass. You know, all these things pass. And, and they're really trying to hammer home this idea that change, or, or they call it impermanence, is really the only truth. It's this idea that nothing stays as it is. Everything is a constant state of change. And so don't worry. This discomfort that you're feeling, it will pass. It will change. And and it's just learning how to deal with that. But uh, I had lots of thoughts coming up. I, I mean, I was thinking back to like old girlfriends and old relationships from back in high school. Like people I haven't heard or thought of for over 20 years. And it was like I was reliving those moments. It, it's amazing how your brain just starts to to work. And And that's kind of going against what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be clearing your mind, just focusing on the breath and being present <laughs> in the moment. But man, it, when there's nothing else going on, you realize how noisy that, that muscle between the ears can be. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I, I feel like I would have a similar, I do my best to clear my mind, but I'd just be thinking of all these, yeah, all these obscure things. What would you say the strangest thing that, that popped into your head over the, te- uh, the 11 days were? Well, I don't know if it was strange, but it was definitely, I'd lost my dad, I guess it'd be about three years ago this spring. And um, he passed from pancreatic cancer. And, um, you know, it it was hard. Like my my dad and I, we we were, I mean, I I can't use the word close because I think that most people's idea of close means, you know, you got a pretty good relationship. So I wouldn't say that we were close. Um, There was definitely love there. You know, we loved each other. We say it or we said it really fast and passing sort of like just about before you hang up the phone it's like love you dad you know like that sort of you know and, and he'd be the same way and uh like love you son and uh but you know never really connecting looking eye to eye and just really getting to the heartfelt conversations uh the, the, the real conversations in some cases and uh even when he was passing and i was with him during uh, those final months, uh, you know, I still struggled to have those conversations uh, as he had with me, but we sort of came to an understanding that, you know, that's just the way it is, you know, it's, it's okay. And, uh, but I started thinking about those weeks and those months and those final moments and, uh, a lot of regret coming up, you know, just this, this idea of, of reliving those moments with my dad near the end and, uh, me saying the things that I wanted to say, you know, in my own mind and reliving that moment and just, learning from it, you know, really trying to, to wrestle with it and, and be more accepting of it. And cause I can't change it, you know, it's, it's happened. Um, but I can take what I learned through that experience with my dad and, and apply it to now, you know, so I don't have to deal with these types of emotions again in the future. And so, uh, working through that, you know, I, I would say that was the, uh, one of the biggest things I got from the experience, you know, and it wasn't something that I was going to think about often, you know, and it sort of put me in a position where I just started to think about it. I couldn't get it out of my mind. And uh, so that was, it was hard, you know, but it was also, <laughs> pardon the pun, but very enlightening, you know, like to, to get that kind of clarity around uh, some tough issues. And uh, yeah, so I, I guess that would be it, you know, like that was the real pinnacle moment where I was like, wow, okay, this is uh I don't even like to use the term good, you know, because then it implies that it was like a fun thing. (laughs) (laughs) It it wasn't fun, Uh, but it made me feel really good. Coming out of that, I just, I I felt like high, you know, like just 
so in tune with myself and the world and just really present right now. And uh, of course, you know, maintaining that, <laughs> it's, that's another uh, issue entirely. Uh, but the idea of constantly practicing that meditation and being able to bring yourself back to that state of, um, you know, like Joseph Campbell calls it, following your bliss, right? This idea of living in the right now. Right now is heaven on earth. Right now is exactly the way it should be and appreciate it for what it is. And, and so that's sort of a, a skill that I'm trying to continue to cultivate based on that experience that started with that 10-day Vipassana course. Oh, that sounds like such a, such a cool experience. And I do want to get back to meditation and mindfulness, but I, I'm just very curious about this. When you were finally able to uh, speak again, do you remember the first thing you said? You know, what was super interesting is, okay, so there was, I believe about maybe 35 men in total. There was double that for women. So on the women's side, there was about 80. We were less than half that as men. And over the period of the 10 days, people just, there was less and less guys showing up to sit on the pillows. And, and the, I mean, you don't really notice unless, you know, when you're sitting there in the meditation hall, you can tell there's some empty spaces now where there weren't before because you would be assigned a, a, a basically a pillow and that was your pillow for the 10 days. And what was happening was people would get to a certain point and they'd leave, you know, and they just became very uncomfortable and they were just like, no, this isn't for me. And, and they could leave. Um, it's not a big deal. It's allowed. They, they try to help you work through it and let you leave. Um, but, uh, you know, we probably lost about almost a third of the men before the end. And uh, what was super interesting is, you know, over this 10 day period, you don't make eye contact. You're not acknowledging one another, but you are still in their presence. You're, you're, you pass each other in the lineup to get, you know, your, your meal of the day, like you pass each other, walk into the meditation hall. So that you're aware that there's other people there, but there's no real effort to make any connection because they, they tell you not to. So your mind starts to build up these stories of these people that you're just watching. Cause we didn't really get to meet each other. We got off the bus orientation, bow of silence. Here's the plan. Go. Okay. Uh, so you're seeing all these different types of people in my case, all these different men. And I realized I'm so quick to judge people and make up stories <laughs> in my head, you know, like make up stories. Like, I don't know who this guy is, but I bet you he's like this, you know, and just you make up these stories. So all of a sudden we get to the end, you know, it's day 11 and it's like, okay, the last bell goes, you have your morning meditation. And now you're having this, this meal where they, they take away the barrier. So the men and the women can now commingle again. They come together. Uh, everybody gets to now talk to each other. Like it's open. And, and so you start to have these conversations with these people that you've got these like completely different stories in your mind about. And you start to realize, wow, they are nothing like I thought, you know, <laughs> like absolutely not like nothing, uh, you know? And then you start to ask yourself, like, I started to feel like bad, actually. Like I was like, man, I am so quick to judge people. And I always think I don't do that. I, that's something I really don't want to do. I don't want to judge people, but we do, you know, and there's definitely varying degrees of it. So that was really interesting for me. You know, I met this guy and he's a, He's a computer programmer from India, and uh, he's done a couple of Vipassanas. And, you know, talking to him, yeah, he tries to come once a year to do minimally a three to, to ten day Vipassana. And, uh, and it's his sort of like reset. It, it, it's just this time for himself to just unplug and reset. But meanwhile, I, I was thinking like he's some university kid, a little partier, like <laughs> he's probably just come to Thailand to party and he got dragged here somehow, you know. And so you, you make up these stories and then you find out, wow, my brain is way up. And uh, yeah, so that, I think that was pretty interesting. 
Yeah, that's, and I'm thinking of all the times I've ridden public transportation. I feel like oh, this yeah. is probably when I yeah. most, most frequently do this. And every once in a while, I'll sit next to someone that I've ridden with, you know, 30 or 40 times on a bus or train or whatever. And we'll, we'll get, you know, we'll get to chatting and it's just like, yeah, I totally had you pegged wrong. <laughs> That is so true. Like that is a perfect example uh, and parallel. Uh, definitely. It's yeah. I, and you know, for those people that are like, Oh, I don't know if I could do this. Well, yeah, I was there too. And you know, I've done a, a mini one. Once you've done the 10 day, you can do mini ones like three days or five days, but everyone the first time has to do the 10 because that's the full course. You know, like you learn this mindful meditation practice. You learn this certain way of breathing and breath work and, I mean, once you get through that, you can't unlearn what you just learned. You can choose to do it or not to do it, but to unlearn what you've just experienced, it would take a lot. You know, you'd have to really do absolutely zero <laughs> and, <laughs> and not reflect. And, and, and that's fine. But then I would question, well, why did you do it to begin with? You know, um, so I think it's, it's important to set some intentions. It's like, okay, well, what do I want to get out of this? You know, why would I be attracted to doing this kind of a silent journey and it's really it's a journey within you know we spend so much time focusing on everything that happens outside of us we rarely take the time to focus on what's going on on the inside where this is the complete opposite you know the majority of the time spent for that 10 days is focusing on the inside looking all that like channeling all that energy and all that focus inward and it is scary you know it, it is sort of like the, the it's just this foreign place that we haven't really taken time to, to, to explore. And so with that, there are a lot of realizations, a lot of stuff comes up. Some people get very upset and because uh, they have old memories that might've been re suppressed or repressed. And, and all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're coming to the forefront again. And so that's not uncommon. You, you know, there was a couple moments where, yeah, I was crying, you, you know, it was like reliving certain moments and it was like painful. Uh, the, the mind's a powerful thing, you know, it really is. Uh, but coming out of it, I, I, yeah, uh, I can't recommend it more. If people are looking to really get to know themselves, I think this is one of the best experiences to do it. Nice. That's super cool. And, and a nice little segue. I, well, I say nice <laughs> in, implying it might be a, like, like a fun thing, but um, you would mention that it's been, I assume now over, over 10 years since you last had a drink. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's, uh, that's a pretty big life change, I would say, for, for most folks, at least that have, you know, have had experience drinking before to, to kind of cut it off cold turkey like that. So how, how did that happen? Was there a moment where you're like, okay, I need to stop this or walk us through sort of that, that mindset 10 years ago? Well, you know, and it probably started a little bit before that. You know, I was, I worked really hard in my 20s and uh, I was chasing what I believe to be success, you know, uh, the, the flash, right? Like the, the money, the respect, uh, the power, you know, I was building, uh, I co-founded a, a company and, uh, you know, we were growing like crazy and had a lot of staff and just, you know, I just assumed all this responsibility very quickly. And with it also came a lot of stress. You know, at the time, uh, my wife and I, we got together quite young. We started having kids quite young. You know, I was 25 when my, my eldest was born. Or sorry, I guess I was actually almost 26 when she was born. Um, my wife would have been nearly 24 at the time. And, you know, so I was pretty young. Out of all our friends, we were the first ones to have kids. And uh, that added another dynamic you know, on top of me trying to build my empire, you know, my company. Uh, I was... I learned very quickly 
how to deal with stress. And, and my way of dealing with stress, especially some of the social anxiety I felt, uh, which I picked up as a kid, you know, I was morbidly obese as a teenager, socially awkward, like just, I, I learned how to, to really numb myself to the point where I could open up. And I found alcohol and drugs was a great way to do that. I literally, I'd have a different personality when I would have a few drinks in me. You know, my friends would call it good guy die, you know, good guy die showing up, you know, like it was, it was a joke, but they loved it because I was then the life of the party. Meanwhile, I was complete opposite in everyday life. And uh, you can imagine you, you do that long enough, you become very conditioned. You start to wonder, am I a good guy die or am I the other person that's, uh, you know, aspiring to be a great man and a good father, a, a community leader? Like, and, you know, the psychologists call this, uh, what do they call it? Um, cognitive dissonance, right? This idea that we, we, we have this perception of who we are or wanting to be, and then we have who we're showing up. And the further these two points are apart from each other, we create this massive chasm in between. And we got to fill it with something. So a lot of us just, you know, fill it. At least with me, it was a lot of pain, a lot of sadness, a lot of uh, depression. And I filled it with a lot of useless stuff. I acquired a lot of stuff I didn't need. I, I drank a lot. I used drugs. I, I, I was promiscuous. You know, I wasn't faithful to my wife. Like I was just not a very good person. And the more I felt ashamed of myself and guilty and blaming myself, uh, the more I wanted to drink because it was my easy way of forgetting things in the moment. And I just became very conditioned to do that. And I did that for, for about eight years. And then, you know, as I say, one of those fateful days, uh, I, I had been out the night before, like just raging. And, uh, you know, I was famous with my wife for always uh, begging for forgiveness, rather ever, ever asking for permission. And uh, it was one of those mornings I got up and she was downstairs. The kids were four and six at the time sitting on the couch watching their favorite show at the time, which is Dora the Explorer. I, I remember that annoying jingle anywhere. And, uh, you know, I had a big headache. I was hungover, quite, quite hungover. And I make my way down the stairs. My wife's unloading the dishwasher, but aggressively. Like literally every plate was clanging, every utensil was dropping. Like I could tell, you know, she's a tinge of ginge, you know, full on redhead. She's fiery and she's got, she's, she, when she's upset, she's not someone to sugarcoat. You know, she will tell you what she thinks. And she was always very good at doing that with me. And I could tell that something was not right this morning. And uh, so she sat me down and then we were about to have the die. We have to have a talk, you know, and, and that, you know, partner says, Hey, we gotta have a talk. <laughs> it's like, uh oh, okay, there's something coming here, you know. And uh, she was like, "I'm done. I I can't do this anymore." You know, um, our kids can't be around this. We don't even know you. Like, this is not not the relationship with the man that I thought you were. And she asked me a question, and this this is the the question, the question that literally, you know, when people are clear, there's that moment where you know. I could have gone left or I could have gone right. But because of this one thing, I chose to go right. And that one question was, die. are you being the type of man that you would want to marry your daughters? Boom. Wow. You know, when she said that, it, I don't know. And it, pardon the pun, but it was the most sobering question anybody could have asked me. And literally at that moment, I said, okay, I want to be that man. I want to be that man. Before that, you know, my wife was like, I want you to be this man. 
you know, my kids obviously wouldn't articulate it that way, but I could tell they wanted a great dad. They wanted me to be that guy that they looked up to every day, you know? And, um, it was at that moment I was like, okay, I'm going to make some changes. And, uh, I made a commitment to not have a drink for one year. I, I sat my kids down, you know, my wife was there. I was like, daddy's not going to have any more drinks for a year. And my kids are like, Oh, I mean like, pop or, or, or adult drinks, <laughs> you know, so we had to qualify what that meant. And, uh, you know, I also started doing a lot of other work, inner work at the time, you know, working with a coach, a psychiatrist, a counselor. Um, I even went to some meetings where, you know, this is where I have a, a real different opinion about addiction and whatnot. Um, I, I wouldn't go as far to say I had an addiction, but I definitely had a behavior issue, you know, a relationship problem with alcohol. And uh, so I started doing a lot of work. I joined a club called Toastmasters, you know, to get around some positive individuals. Uh, and, you know, I, I also cut off all my present associations. So everybody that really liked to hang out with Good Guy Die and was the ones that would have him on speed dial. And, you know, I realized that as soon as I started hanging out with them, but not drinking, they felt very uncomfortable. And I started asking myself, well, what's going on here? You know, and they, they literally just, they didn't feel uncomfortable. They didn't know how to interact with me anymore. And because uh, we didn't have that common bond, you know, this ability to just party. And uh, so I changed all my association. And, uh, and you know, and, and just after that year, it, it, I loved everything that was happening. Things in my life were just happening. Things were like amazing. And it's like, I don't want this to stop. You know, I'm, I don't care if a guy that comes back, <laughs> you know, that, that I'm not even, I don't even know who that guy is anymore. And even myself, I had started to change so much and, uh, and I liked it. So, you know, nine years later, I've just stayed the course. That's all. It's just, it's been a, a lifestyle decision and, uh, you know, everything changed literally 10 years ago. It'll be 10 years ago in January. Nice. That's, that's awesome. And congrats on, I mean, already it's a milestone, but (laughs) 10 is a nice round number. So (laughs) it's a, well, it's a big one. You know, when you first make that commitment, like I thought, oh my gosh, a year, this is crazy. And, uh, and it was, it was challenging. I remember during the Olympics at the time, you know, it was the the Vancouver Olympics and we decided to take a trip to Disneyland because they're like, oh, there won't be any Canadians down there at this time because they're all going to be in Vancouver, you know, where (laughs) we live. And, uh, and uh, we got down there and then, you know, going out to like the, the pub, you know, with my wife and my kids to watch like the hockey games and uh, not having a beer, you know, like not drinking. And I associated hockey and watching hockey with drinking. And so there was these little patterns that felt uncomfortable, you know, going through those little moments because I felt like I was just going against the grain. It's like I have these default settings and it's like, oh, <laughs> I'm fighting against them. and. Um, yeah, it, it, you know, but you just, you stay the course. You, it's like, well, no, what? I want to override these old behaviors with new ones, new habits. And the only way you can do that is you just got to keep repeating the new habit over and over and over again. And, uh, and eventually it gets there where it now becomes the dominant, you know, the dominant behavior. And uh, definitely I've seen that happen numerous times in my life for various uh, things that I've wanted to change. I like that. And I, again, we're, we're just nailing the segues here uh, because I wanted to... <laughs> Jump into your five pillars, your five Fs. Uh, and I feel like there might be a little bit of, of overlap from what you were just talking about. But can you walk us through each of those five Fs and how people can kind of bring them into their own lives? Well, sure. You, you know, I'm, I, uh, <laughs> it's funny. I, 
I ended up getting into business, especially in the health industry. And, uh, but meanwhile, when I was going to school, it was for philosophy and English literature. <laughs> and I always tell people, well, you can understand why I got into fitness. <laughs> I had to make a living. And, um, but I really appreciated philosophy, but especially English literature. And as someone that enjoys to write, uh, I really learned a lot through, through that program. And, uh, you know, I wrote a book a number of years ago, some of it based on some of the experiences I've had, but more specifically around helping people create a framework for themselves to, to facilitate changes in their own lives. And it, it, the foundation of it is this 5S. And it's alliteration, so I like that. It makes it easier to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also use a, a picture. So if you can envision this, those that are listening, you've got a home. You know, there's four walls, there's a roof, and there's a foundation. Well, the four walls are the S. You've got fitness, faith, family, and finances. You have an overarching roof of fun, and this is built on a foundation of health first. And so that is the the general framework. Now, people can massage that to mean whatever it has to mean for them. You know, find the important pieces that fit into some of those verticals, if you will, like what's family mean to you? Define that. What are your values when it comes to family? How about your fitness? Fitness is an extension to improve our health. You know, like you want to change your health drastically. Well, look at what you put in your mouth and look at how you move your body and that will influence your health. As far as the mental health, there's also the, the meditation aspects and the personal development aspects. And uh, then I talk about finances. Listen, we live in a world where we do require finances and being fiduciary, uh, being responsible um, from a financial standpoint and for us to be able to sustain the lifestyle that we want, not only today, but into our future. And, uh, and then lastly, that faith one is this idea that uh, I believe we're, we're all put on this planet to create an impact, not, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of everyone here. And, you know, some people call it religion. Some people call it uh, simply belief in a higher power. I, for me, it's just this faith in humanity. And uh, that's what it means to me. And if you're not smiling every day, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> and, and if your foundation isn't made out of marble or titanium, why not? You know, because it's only a matter of time where that foundation gets rocked and then everything on top, that entire house that you've built, we know that it may not weather the storms and it can deteriorate. And, and you know, it's that health thing, that relationship with health. I, I, I work with a lot of individuals that, you know, they've got everything in life. You, you would, from the outside looking into it, you'd be like, whoa, this person's extremely successful. And by all standards, they are. But when it came to that little thing called health, it was a mess, you know, dealing with chronic ailments, <laughs> dealing with uh, potentially substance abuses, uh, relationships with food that's way out of whack, uh, even mental health. You know, there, there's these aspects that aren't in check and it affects everything else. And uh, so that was the basic uh, idea of this 5S. It's just to give people a sort of a visual framework through which they could craft their own relationship with those pillars, if you will. Yeah, I like thinking of it as a house because that's just a, a very easy to picture sort of analogy of how the whole mm-hmm. whole thing can tumble without the health. I like it. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it's so interesting with health, right? Like it's, it, when we don't need it, we don't really think about it. But as soon as you don't have it, it's all you can think about. You know, it's, it really is. It's, uh, I, I see that with a lot of people, especially coming from the fitness equipment industry. You know, I often get a lot of people that money wasn't the issue. You know, they, they were ready to do whatever they need to do, um, but they were coming in and buying equipment because their doctor had said, listen, if you don't start exercising regularly, 
our next visit's not going to be so happy. You, you know, like it's this, this fear uh, based decisions that a lot of people are making based on not having health. Um, but even then, and that, this is where I get so discouraged at times uh, is they have the best of intentions. They buy the fit, fitness equipment, but then they never use it. I mean, there's cliches of it. So you look on like the Craigslists, the, the, the Ebays, and it's like equipment after equipment after equipment. It looks brand new, you know, because it was. It was used as a coat rack in the basement somewhere. And, <laughs> and, but why? You know, there was a great intention made behind buying that equipment. Why is it not being used? Why is the follow-through not happening? You know, why can't you sustain this, this change that you want to make? And that's where, you know, I really started to dive off about 60 years ago. I was trying to figure out why, why is that, you know, and and figure out ways to help others. Because I've also struggled with that. I don't know about you, Joy. Like, what are some of the biggest changes you made in your life that were hard when you first started to go through it? And what did you do to then get through it? That's a good question. I feel like I need to... (laughs) I need to pause the recording while I think about it. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I would agree even just getting back, you know, when I was in my college years and early 20s, I feel like it was a lot easier to, uh, to you know, just have the time to exercise and, and again, take care of your, your general health with fitness. Um, mm. And, you know, now working a full-time job and it's, it's easier to make that excuse. And so um, mm. earlier this year, in fact, I was kind of like, you know what, I, I don't feel great. And I think part of it is because I'm eating poorly and really just not making the time to exercise. And so I've, mm. I've tried to make a more cognizant effort to, you know, maybe not, I mean, I wasn't doing this, but like not having a hamburger every day, like, or right. the equivalent of that. Um, and just trying to, ex- I think a lot of it too, is I'd, I'd be like, oh, I'll exercise at night. And then it's, you know, it's 7 p.m. And I'm like, well, yeah. I'm hungry now. And <laughs> I don't want to exercise too close to bed. Um, so just trying to do it more when I got up, which mm-hmm. I mean, for me, at least, it's like I feel better when I exercise in the morning. And so I think that helps impact the whole day. It so does. And I, I'm glad that you have that personal realization. I, I think it's one of those things that you sort of have to just go through the process, try a few different things, and then you'll, you'll naturally find which one you, you just best align with. And, uh, and I, I agree. I have a very similar um, perspective on, on exercise. I like to do it in the morning because I know if I don't make the time or take the time to do it first thing, it's easy for me to push off throughout the day, you know, and think, oh, I'll get to that later. But then later never comes, you know, and it's like the idea of saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll stop procrastinating tomorrow. You know, <laughs> it's just like, uh, no, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily work that way. And so when you come to that realization and you understand that, it actually, it charges you up for the day. Like, I, I don't know about you, but after I do my workout, I'm like flying around. I'm like super focused. I feel great. I tend to make better decisions throughout the rest of the day. Like when it comes to eating, I just make healthier choices. I just, because I'm already feeling so good. I'm like, I don't want this feeling to go away. And so you just start to make decisions based on that feeling. And if you're not feeling good, you're feeling down in the dumps, maybe a bit sad. Myself as a kid, when I felt that way, I would reach for something sugary. You know, there's a reason why I was morbidly obese at age 14. <laughs> I, I, I didn't get there by accident. It took five years to put all that weight on. But it was, again, a learned habit to deal with stress and, uh, you know, to, to comfort myself. And, and a lot of us have certain triggers that set us off and we have certain things that we look to to comfort us that may not be the best option. And, you know, the first step is just recognizing that. And then, huh, what can we do to change this? And then, you know, this is where it gets really hard. 
you just got to do that. <laughs> you don't do that thing and keep doing it. You know, you're like, well, what do I have to do to change? Well, you just got to make a change. And they're like, what? That's it? I'm like, well, yeah, but you got to keep doing it. You know, like it's not one time and then you're done. It's like ongoing. And uh, until eventually, I see it with many people, it becomes a lifestyle. And when it's a lifestyle, you don't think about it anymore. You just do it. It's just how you live. And, uh, and that's a, a really cool place to be. Boom. Super easy. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I like to keep it simple because it really, it shouldn't be that hard. Um, yet we make things really hard for ourselves, you know? And, uh, yeah, again, I think that just sort of closes the loop on that whole meditation conversation from the beginning. Cause if you struggle with mindful meditation, you know, even just getting like the, the, what is it? The headspace app, they got a great course on there or insight timer. It's a free app. And they have lots of free courses for people to try different styles of meditation. Insight app, it's available on Android and on Apple. I'm not affiliated, by the way. <laughs> uh, but it's a great free app for people that struggle with that meditation piece. Because once you learn how to deal and regulate stress, you know, just through your own breath and your own focus, it's amazing how you can start to use that energy, this channeling focus into achieving other changes in your life. But it's always the place where I like to get people started. You know, start moving your body a little bit. Start focusing on a little bit of meditation. Start listening to positive messages like a great podcast like this one or if you watch a TED Talk or, or you just feed your mind 10 minutes a day with something positive. You know, you do that 30 minutes a day, 2% of every 24 hours for 28 days. You will see a massive shift. Massive. Like, I always tell people, can you give me 30 minutes a day? Just 30 minutes a day for the next four weeks. Can you do that? <laughs> and I have people like, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, come on. Like, come on. I know you can do this. Like, just, just commit to me for 28 days. And if you don't feel anything different at the end of it, come back to me. And, uh, and I will eat my hat. You know, like, <laughs> whatever. Um, I've never had anybody come back to me and say, you know what? That kind of stuff. Because <laughs> you know, it feels so good. I'm like, wow. That was nowhere near as challenged as I thought it would be. Because often our, our, our perception on what exercise is, is watching CrossFit games on TV. And it's like, well, I can't do that. You know, like, well, neither can I. <laughs> Come on. That is, that is extreme athletes. Um, what I'm talking about is just moving your body with purpose. You know, getting a little bit of a sweat on, a little bit of a glow. Moving well. So you move well today, but you'll move well 40 years from now too. But if you don't use it, that likelihood of that future is nil. You know, it really is. It's nil. So what do you want to do? I, sometimes I go to the beach, just go for a walk, you know, and, and I like to listen to podcasts or audiobooks and my favorite things to listen to. And, uh, you know, I just, I think it's so easy for us to, to check off the boxes, you know, and especially when we look at sort of cascading effect of some of the things that we make commitments or things that are on our to-do list. Like how many of those can we actually do at the same time? <laughs> you know, like give me 30 minutes. Well, I, you know, I can get one, two, three of the things I want to get done today done at that same period of time. You know, and I don't really call it multitasking as, as cascading your, your, your commitments, you know, and that's why I love audiobooks. It's like, okay, well work out for 15 minutes, but listen to something like that. You know, you may not be hundred percent focused on it, but subconsciously you're picking up on it you know you're taking in some stuff and uh and at least from my personal experience that's what i've experienced absolutely and i i feel like that and this is going to just bring it all full circle but listeners of my podcast now i always like to end with the top three and mm. you actually said this is a question you wish more people asked you of what are the top three habits that have improved your life well, th thank you for asking that. Uh, of course, of course. <laughs> you know, it, it, I, I guess, you know, I, I was thinking about this because if I get right down to the basic habits for me, 
like the ones that directly impact my life. Uh, I'm not thinking about others. Um, indirectly it does, but you know, the what's in it for me relationship is it directly correlates to what I'm doing. And I would say number one is, is daily activity. You know, just moving my body with purpose every day for a minimum, minimum 15 minutes. You know? Now that's not just walking for 15 minutes. I'm talking about a workout, you know, getting my sweat on, getting my heart rate elevated and sustaining that elevation for a minimum of 15 minutes. It's enough to get things moving well, get my metabolism up, get me focused, get me huffing and puffing. Uh, so really, it, it just kickstarts me into feeling really good. Um, those positive endorphins get moving, you know, it helps with some hormone regulation. Good things will then ensue. And then secondly, meditation, daily meditation practice. There's some days I only do it for five minutes. But taking five minutes to quiet myself down, focus just on my breathing, I, I love it. Um, I'm a big practitioner with heart rate variability, and that's a free test anybody can do. Um, I've got some articles on my blog if you're interested on how to, but there's information all over the internet, even on YouTube, of people showing you how to do this. But heart rate variability is a great way to gauge if your body's in a state of parasympathetic or sympathetic, meaning are you in a heightened state of stress or are you needing some relaxation? And we can actually monitor this and directly affect our levels of stress just by modulating how we breathe. So, you know, it's one of those things people say, I'm really stressed out. I'm like, meditate for five minutes and tell me you don't feel a bit better. And I mean, really meditate for five minutes. Like, shut everything off. Five minutes, just focus on your breathing. Any thoughts that come to your mind, accept them, push them away. Just focus on the breath. You're going to feel better. So that's number two. And then number three, it, it's just having a, an appetite for personal development you know, personal slash professional development, this, this lust for uh, knowledge and, and ultimately taking knowledge one step further and turn it into practical everyday personalized wisdom. You know, this ability to not only internalize what we're learning, but actually take what's useful and apply it to our own life to see improvements. And, but it all starts from consuming the right types of content. You know, like if you're someone like me and it's, <laughs> I, I've got a, a, a a little secret, and I, I don't often share this, but I love cheesy, brainless horror movies. I just <laughs> do. I do. Like Saw franchise, I love them. Like, why? It's because it's the complete opposite. When I really want to shut down and totally veg out, I watch a stupid horror movie because I don't have to think. I can just zone out. I wouldn't say do that every day, all day. You know, if you're watching that kind of stuff or Netflix binging and you're not really watching anything with a, a, a significant message in it, that develops you personally and professionally, well, ask yourself, can I reinvest some of that time I'm already doing into something that might be a little bit more productive and more influential in a positive way on my life? And then just take back some of that time and reinvest it in other means, whether you're reading a great book, listening to a podcast, watching a TED Talk, whatever. Go join a Toastmasters group. But take a little bit of that time every day and invest it into your self-wisdom. And those are my three habits. Like those are the ones that I can tie to being the most impactful in my life over the last decade. Fantastic. And if people want to hear more great habits like this or, or learn more from you or want to take the 28 day challenge, where can they find you online? Yeah. Well, uh, the neat thing about having a unique name like Di Manuel, Di is Welsh for David, it's spelled D-A-I. And then Manuel is actually Portuguese. So yes, I'm a mix. Uh, but <laughs> I've got my name all over the place. So basically every social platform, whenever it came out, I'd always just 
lock in my name. And uh, even my own personal website, which is diamondwell.com. It's a blog. There's about 1,500 articles on there that are all lifestyle focused, great information, lots of free resources. It's a bit of a rabbit hole at times. I'm working on the, the structure to make it easier to find stuff, but you know, it is what it is. And, uh, but you can reach out to me on any social platforms and um, the, the link to the program, uh, the whole life fitness manifesto based on my book, it's free. There's no charges, no hidden agenda there. I, I want to make this really accessible for anybody and everybody to make those changes and not to feel so alone. And as I say, you might be working out on your own, but you're not going to be alone. And, uh, my wife and I do the workouts with you even. So these 15 minute daily workouts, you get an email in the morning, there's a YouTube link, you hop on, put it on your TV or on your phone, and we'll be sweating it out with you for 15 minutes. And then we guide you through a five minute meditation and, uh, the personal development, well, that's on you. You get to pick whatever it is that you want to learn about and go learn. Love it. Super easy, actionable. It's my, it's yes. my favorite. It's my favorite combo yeah. stuff. Yeah. Me too, man. I think totally, <laughs> right? I, I, it's, I, I think about all the things I've done in my life that haven't provided a direct result. I often catch myself like, well, why did I just invest all that time? You know, like what was the point? And I find that now uh, is actually today. I am 43 today. And uh, this <laughs> is like that mindset I have now where it's like I'm, I, I filter things a little bit differently. Where it's like I prioritize, yes, this is a definite yes. This is a definite no, but there's no more in between, you know, it's one or the other and uh, really trying to do that. And that's why when you reached out and we, we connected to, to chat today, I, I was like super stoked. So uh, thank you for being a hell yeah, Joey. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing all this great advice. I mean, I don't know about you. I feel ready to take on the world. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I hope so. And, uh, you know, I'd love to have another conversation with you in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, looking forward to it. And of course, astute listeners know that I always like to end with a corny joke. So let's make it a sort of mindful meditation-based one. Why does meditation get some resistance? Because there's so many ohms. Get oh, after it today, people. Oh, I love it. <laughs> uh, I'm totally oh, using that one. <laughs> That's great, George.